Welcome to Trailblazing with Corbett Price, where we present new and fresh perspectives that challenge how you approach change to solve some of the biggest challenges faced by business and government leaders today. Here's our host, Andy Corbett, to introduce the fourth episode in our series on embracing organisational change. Hi everyone, I'm Andy Corbett, Managing Director of Corbett Price. We hope that you've been enjoying our second podcast series on embracing organisational change, where we've spoken with trailblazers on important transformational changes that leaders need to embrace to succeed now and into the future. Last week, we were joined by Julie Etchells, who's the Chief Human Resources Officer for the Department of Child Safety, Seniors and Disability Services for the Queensland Government. Julie shared her valuable perspectives based from her long career working for the Queensland Government and offered advice on how public sector organisations can come closer to realising diversity, equity and inclusion aspirations and how they can do this through closing the gaps and creating inclusive workplaces where employees feel valued and importantly feel safe to contribute and be their authentic selves. In our fourth episode, we're continuing to explore an underpinning theme across many of our episodes, which is about empowering employees, and more specifically, in today's episode, how we can attract, retain, and reduce attrition in today's new talent game. As we await the results of the APS 2023 census, the June 2022 APS census revealed that a third of APS employees were unhappy with their working conditions, with 70% wanting to leave within the next two years. And from conversations we had with the public sector professionals across Australia, it became clear that there was a strong correlation between employee experience and retention, with leaders noting that they needed to look for ways to bridge the gap between employee expectations and employer needs. McKinsey and Company produced a compelling view into Australian public sector employees late last year, and the report found that the top five work-related factors for talent leaving the public sector were, one, a lack of career development, two, a lack of meaningful work, three, uncaring leadership, four, inadequate compensation, and five, workplace inflexibility. On the flip side, the five key factors for employees staying in their jobs were one, workplace flexibility, two, meaningful work, three, adequate compensation, four, career development, and finally, number five, geographic ties. So how can we keep our top performing talent, attract new talent, and meet future workforce needs? Here to help us discuss these important questions is Tina McAllister. Tina is the Acting Director for People and Culture at the Department of Agriculture and Fisheries in the Queensland Government. Tina has over 15 years of senior experience managing talent and employee experience across the Department of Transport and Main Roads and the Department of Communities, Child Safety and Disability Services. Thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast, Tina. Oh, you're welcome, Andy. Um, it's it's really good to be here. Thank you. Good, good. All right, let's get into it then, shall we? So my first question, Tina, is this 
concepts of the great attrition. And as you know, there's lots of research and discussion around the great attrition, especially within the um, Australian Public Service. In your extensive experience working with talent for the Queensland government, what, what do you think it is that employees want? I think, Andy, there's lots of points of data that inform us what people want. There's been discussions about employee opinion surveys and they provide us with insights in that regard. I suppose the thing is that process it is crucial and it is only as effective to the point of how well the questionnaire, questionnaire is designed. If we look at the Queensland public sector results from last year, you know, what we hear, it's an ongoing one, is, you know, red tape is an issue. Um, people actually want to feel safe in the workplace and, and they're also wanting flexibility. So I think those are the things that are crucial to um, attracting and engaging employees moving forward. Another thing that we, my team recently led an employee value pr proposition project and that afforded us the ability to have really, um, you know, one-to-one -one conversations with a significant number of employees and there were also a number of focus groups held. And so you get that qualitative piece of of information coming through about what employees want, which is quite different to, I suppose, a, a survey um, process. Um, and what we heard is, and particularly for Gen Z, they're wanting to work for an organisation that has purpose, that they feel connected to, um, and to make a contribution. If we look at, you know, our um, long-held theories about what motivates people, it's that they want to feel um, connected to what they're doing and that, you know, touches into that intrinsic point within us about, well, I'm doing this because it actually um, gives me a sense of um, purpose and I'm doing it for the sake, just, just for the sake of that it actually makes me to feel good. Connecting in with that purpose um, and I think that's a big piece to um, building an attractive employee proposition as well. The other piece that came through is around quality leadership. Um, and I suppose what we know is people feel inspired by leaders who are interested in them. So it's that ongoing connection, again, connection to purpose. And I think it's incumbent upon leaders to actually um, articulate that and support that understanding in their teams about how the work that they're doing contributes to broader purpose. That's great. And, and, and you, you mentioned before around the idea of doing one-on-one -on -one interviews and, and the power of the qualitative research and, and the qualitative um, understanding as to how employees feel and what they value. Uh, what, for those people who just feel it, it's a survey is, is, is good enough, what, what would you say to them? What would you say are the challenges and risks of just taking a, a, an approach to which is just a survey only rather than actually having these in-depth conversations on a one-on-one on -one -on -one basis to, to really understand uh, the nuance, I suppose, of, uh, of some of those um, sort of the values that uh, people have and, and their needs and what they want from their job? 
I think, Andy, I also want to be clear that there is a place for surveys and, you know, undertaking, you know, employee value proposition project is actually, it's quite labour intensive and there needs to be, I suppose, an organisational commitment to that investment and it's not something that you do ongoing. Mm. I think this is where the role of the manager comes in so that quantitative piece can come in in the day-to-day work. It's the relationship that the team member has with their manager, supervisor, leader that can actually bring that out. Um, You know, we all want a sense of, of... uh, of affiliation, of relatedness, of and also to have autonomy. And, you know, the other piece that people are wanting is flexibility. And I think flexibility speaks to providing people more autonomy in their lives. Um, in terms of a commitment to that, you know, I appreciate that not all organisations might be in a position to do an employee value proposition project. I will say there's significant value in doing it, though, particularly in, you know, contributing to developing an attraction strategy and to understanding what what keeps your people with you yeah. um, because you want to do more of that. Yeah. Um, I would say that a point in time, you know, it, it would be um, helpful for organisations to do that maybe every two to three years, that process. And also just as important is to develop managers and leaders to have an engaging people-centric style of leadership so that they're learning on the ground every day what motivates their people, Mm. what work they're interested in. You know, people are retained through doing interesting work. Absolutely. And I think, you know, as you say, it's not always feasible for everyone to do it, but obviously there's a lot of value if you can to to go that step further and have those one-on-one conversations. And it's something that doesn't need to be happening all the time, but it's good to have it, you know, to, to refresh that and really sort of understand the depths of, uh, of detail required to truly understand what it is that uh, that your employees want. Because if you don't know what your employees want, then you don't really know then how to actually address those needs. And I think, as we as we know, people are like the the greatest asset of um, of any any organisation. Uh, so I think it's really important personally to go that step further and go beyond the survey if it is feasible is it if it is feasible to do so yeah absolutely and that two-prong approach you you could have a dedicated project um employee value proposition discovery and then developing your leaders to actually continue that on a day-to-day basis to build that culture of um engagement with employees yeah so that's great so yeah so that that question was really around understanding, you know, what what we what our employees want, and you picked out some really great examples there of the key things that they're they're looking for. Uh, I guess the next question now is how do we actually how do we actually then meet those needs? And uh, in our last podcast series, we spoke with uh, with David Powell about the concepts of a contribution agreement between employees and employers. And just to explain the concept, what this was looking at was customers from outside an organization and people that employees serve inside the organization. So then determining how the employee will contribute to their organization's success and vision, and then in turn, how the organization will contribute to the employee's capabilities. So Tina, what are your thoughts on this type of contract 
or agreement? And my second question is, do you feel like the APS or Australian Public Service is moving towards more of a two-way collaborative agreement with employees? Andy, I can speak to the Queensland public sector. Yeah. Um, and certainly in the Queen, Queensland public sector, we are. Um, we've actually just had um, a new public sector act um, come into to play this year in, in March. Um, it was um, released. And we had already been going in the direction of um, what, what we term positive performance management, which is about those ongoing discussions, which is about um, ascertaining from employees where their interests lie and what development they need to achieve that. And also in the context of what the sector needs to deliver. And I suppose what we need to remember first and foremost is we are here to serve. Um, we are here to serve the community and the public and you know we, that, that work all needs to be delivered um, within the frameworks of our, of integrity, ethics and, and our codes of conduct. I mean, that really is, you know, how we do our work underpinned by those principles and behaviours. But, but certainly the Queensland Public Service is moving towards, um, I, I, we, we haven't called it a contribution agreement, but it certainly aligns to those principles that David spoke about. Um, and I think, you know, when we look at that, it's actually founded on very good psychological principles of um, organisational behaviour and human engagement. You know, if, to have a high-performing team, you need to understand what motivates your people. Um, to understand what motivates your people, you need to have regular conversations. Um, and as a leader, it's about recognising your team's strengths and interests and where you can directing projects towards those people to bring the best out in them and to give them a sense of self-efficacy that they're contributing well and they're feeling rewarded by their work just by the pure engagement of it because it it sings to their it sings their tune it, it kind of it it helps them walk the beat of their own drum within a public sector context so it is you know it's it's about the skill of the manager and leader I think yeah really and I suppose what we see is um, there's always room for us to improve and how we engage our people. Yeah, that's great. And where, where do you think there might be the biggest room for improvement, do you think? I think um, for people who, and this is age old, Andy, I'm, I'm not going to be saying anything that, um, uh, seasoned HR practitioners don't know already. It's that universal piece around uh, technical experts being promoted to leadership roles. Um, and I suppose providing an opportunity for those people to understand the value of being a people-centric leader in the context of their technical expertise. I think that's where the sweet spot is if we could do that, I think we would be um, you know, a high-performing public sector. Yeah. yeah, yeah, excellent. But I'm not. It's not. It's not. It's not a sort of a new thing. I think a lot of HR peeps would would um, probably um, be nodding their heads at that one. Yeah, absolutely. And um, 
and in, in the intro that, to this particular episode, I quoted McKinsey research, uh, which was all around the, the, the talents in the Australian public service. And within that research, workplace flexibility was the top factor for why talent stayed in the public sector. And workplace inflexibility was also the fifth factor in why employees left the public sector. So as we move out of COVID conditions that set most of us working re- remotely at home and, and, uh, and you know, h- how should we manage employee expectations around working from the office versus working from home? That's a really good question, Andy. Um, and I think, you know, prior to COVID, uh, at least the Queensland public sector was very advanced with respect to flexibility. You know, we had telecommuting, you know, as far back as, you know, 2005. Um, and we also have other flexible um, work arrangements, you know, we have leave at half pay, we've got part-time work arrangements, we've got flex time, and I think other jurisdictions also have those things. Um, now, post-COVID, the private sector has caught up with us. So, it's important for us to highlight the additional pieces to um, flexibility beyond telecommuting, because there are many within the public sector. Um, in terms of the balance of people um, you know, wanting to work from home uh, more often than not, it, it, I suppose one of the things that the Queensland public sector has done is they've brought in um, a sector framework, uh, Flex Connect, and what it's really looking at is balancing all the needs, um, you know, between teams, individuals, customers, leaders and organisations, um, just to create the best flexible option, flexible enough to create a happy medium. I suppose what that speaks to is it's a give and take situation. And I think it's also about um, listening to the particular employee in what their needs are and then working with that within the team context and the um, service delivery or, or business units deliverables context. I think for some people, particularly if they um, tend to be more introverted, that the workplace can actually create a lot of distractions for them. And I suppose what we also saw is productivity increased phenomenally um, throughout COVID. So I think it's also important to bear that in mind and to to work within the framework that's available to us um, and having a framework is helpful. And as I was saying before, you know, having those managers work with their people to, to define what is best for individual team, business unit and organisation. Um, I think there will be a greater call for more and more flexibility though moving forward and it's something that the sector will need to grapple with. Yeah, it's definitely not easy, is it? No, it's not. It's it's a complex um, equation. Yeah, that's great. No, thanks, Tina. Yeah, it's certainly something that a lot of uh, people that we work with are certainly trying to trying to balance, and um, I think it really heavily depends on a number of different factors. There's no there's no one approach. There's no blanket approach to this at all, is there? 
I think that's actually spot on, Andy. There is no blanket approach and it's about applying situational thinking within a framework um, to support you know, employees as, as best we can um, while meeting our obligations as a public service. Yeah, that's great. And, and um, we, we are approaching the end of the episode now, Tina, but before we let you go today, uh, I just wanted to ask you one more question. Uh, and that question is related to uh, this idea of internal mobility in the Australian public service. And so pointing back to some more research here, so LinkedIn's 2023 workplace learning report provided an insight into how employees at the two-year mark who had made an internal move were 75% more likely to stay with their company than those who hadn't. So does internal mobility play a role in retaining employees? And if it does, how do you plan and allow for it with your employees? Yeah, I think that's really interesting data. And it makes sense to me that circa that two-year mark and a change at that juncture would support retention because I suppose in cha- a change in role, not always, but in a lot of cases reinvigorates us. Um, you know, there's new learning, there's new connections and increased network and it's beneficial, you know, to the person in their career development and to the organisation. So. It, it was good data to see, and it makes sense to me um, intrinsically that it just that rings true. Um, at DAF, we certainly support internal mobility um, through a number of different mechanisms, including those traditional mechanisms that other jurisdictions would also um, appreciate, is you know with with secondments and things like that. Um, we're also, um, like I mentioned before, that positive performance management process and learning what our team's members' aspirations are can give us the insights that we need to support that mobility across the organisation. So, you know, I know, you know this particular person is interested in doing this type of work. Um, but I think broader than that, it's about setting up systems within an organisation that allow for you know, the development of, of sprint teams, for example. And one of the things that we're going to be moving forward with at DAF, within our learning management system, um, we have a module that's yet to be developed that we'll call Knowledge Bank or Evidence Bank. And that what that will do will allow people to um, include in that learning management system their skills, their experience. And so when there's a short-term deliverable that needs to be um, delivered upon and we need to pull a team together, that managers will be able to search that system to be then able to pull um, a sprint team together. So we see that as a way of developing people, allowing them to make broader connections across the organisation. The other thing that we have is, um, you know, within our grad program, we have rotations. So that also supports our new grads um, and early career entrants to develop a network across DAF and to also um, develop different schools across their rotations. And then sector-wide, 
there has been in the past and some certainly some consideration for um, having talent mobility across the senior executives to do interchanges and things like that, which probably other jurisdictions um, have undertaken already as well. But certainly there's a place for mobility and I do see that it contributes to retention. It's a it supports revitalization of people's interest and passion um, and being able to contribute in a more expanded way in their, whether it be a secondment or a new role or, or whatever it might be. Yeah, excellent. Love that answer. Thanks, Tina. And um, unfortunately, we've, we have now um, come to the end of the episode, but uh, just want to say Thank you very much for coming on the podcast, Tina. I really appreciate that, uh, making the time out of your, your busy day to do that. And um, wonderful insights there, which I'm sure all our listeners will, uh, will really benefit from. So um, a huge thank you to, to you today for coming on. And um, it'd be great to have you on again in a future series. Thanks so much, Andy. We hope you enjoyed listening to Tina today and found her insights valuable. A full transcript of this episode is available to download from our website, which is www.corbettsprice.com.au forward slash podcast. That's www.corbettsprice.com.au forward slash podcast. Join us next week as we are joined by Pia Andrews to discuss our final transformational change of adopting new technologies responsibly. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.